Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Uh, The reading this evening can be found on page 287 of the Bibles which you'll find in front of you uh, and is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16 beginning at verse 1. So that's page 287. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we stand, let's pray together. We pray, Lord, as we've just sung, that we would be able to reject the tempting choice of doubting or delaying a response as you speak clearly to us through your word. And we do ask you that that would be the case this evening, that in your kindness towards us, you would speak very clearly to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, let me encourage you to do two things, one of which I've forgotten. Uh, one is to open a Bible. Mine's down there. I'm going to get it in just a moment. And the other is to dig out the uh, handout uh, that is... Oh, thank you, Peter. There we are. How kind. The other is to uh, dig out the handout uh, that uh, you'll find uh, in the bundle that you were given. I think you'll find it very helpful to have that in front of you uh, as we go through uh, 1 Samuel tonight. Well, do please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, page 287. Mine's already been opened for me by Peter. Very kind. If you uh, Google the need for good leadership, you'll find articles saying that Somalia needs a new leader with vision, that Jamaica needs a new leader to reposition the economy, that America needs a different kind of leader altogether, And protesters in Delhi need good leadership for success. Do a straw poll downtown on Saturday here in Sheffield and ask people what our nation needs as we head into 2013. And I would guess that a number of people would say that we need clear, strong, decisive leadership. Leadership that will find a way through our financial struggles. Leadership that makes good economic decisions and yet still protects the health service and education. A leadership that will give us security when it comes to the twin threats of global terrorism and climate change. And I'm pretty sure that a good number of people, if we went and did this straw poll in the town on Saturday morning, would acknowledge a need for guidance morally and spiritually as well. You see, I think back to our one big question survey just over a year ago now. Uh, We asked well over a thousand people, if you could ask God one question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? And while the top question was all about the suffering in the world, remember the second one? What's the meaning of life? That tells me that deep down we do want to know what all this is all about, where it's all leading. We want to know the point of our day-to-day existence. Deep down we want and need to be led because we don't have the answers to the really big issues in life. But put like that, who's up to the task? to lead us economically, uh, politically, militarily, morally, spiritually? Who can we trust to do such an important and far-reaching job? And here's the problem. We want someone we can trust to lead us, but we can't see into the heart. We can't see what makes a man or woman tick. Do you remember the last general election and that first ever televised debate between Gordon Brown, David Cameron and Nick Clegg? Two things that stick most in my memory from that debate was first, how Brown and Cameron kept saying, I agree with Nick. Do you remember that great phrase? And the second, and this is important for tonight, was the discussion afterwards about what they were wearing. Remember that? Um... Highly intelligent political analysts were reduced to discussing the colour of the ties they wore. Do you remember that? Now here's the point. What they looked like, what we could see of them, really mattered to us. And of course it did, because we can only see the outward appearance. We don't know what's going on in the inside. We can't even understand our own hearts, let alone someone else's. We don't know what makes a political leader tick. We can't see into anyone's heart and know the the true motivation for the decisions they make. We don't know whether they're after personal gain, uh, political advancement, or whether they're really out for our good. 
We can only make a decision on who will follow based on what we can see, and that is a problem. It's a problem when it comes to a general election, and it's a problem when it comes to following anyone, because we never have all the information. We can only make a decision on what someone looks like on the outside, how they appear to us, and so we are left in a very vulnerable position. We need someone to lead us. Because we don't have all the answers to the biggest issues in life that really matter. But we can't see who we should choose as our leader. And as a result, we often choose the wrong person to lead us. And it is a complete disaster when we do so. Indeed, that is exactly what happened to the people of Israel as we come to 1 Samuel. And it was a catastrophe See, as we arrive at chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel are at a very critical point in their history. Let me give you a potted history of the key points in 1 Samuel up to this point. And I've put the references that you'll need on your handout under the heading, The Story So Far. That should be 1 Samuel 16, The Story So Far. Israel's wrong leadership choice all began back in chapter 8, as you'll see on the handout there, when Israel asked for a king. They wanted a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. And so the elders of the tribes of Israel approached Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. The elders of Israel went to Samuel and asked for a king so they could be like all the other nations around them who also had kings. And that request grieved Samuel because... The Lord was their king. That's why Israel didn't have a king. And so in asking for a king, the people were rejecting the Lord. They were saying that the Lord's leadership was not good enough for them. Now to try and cut a long story short, in chapter 8, the Lord said to Samuel, well, before you give them a king, warn them of the consequences of having a king. And you can read what the Lord said when you get home in 1 Samuel 8. The reference is on there. So Samuel warned the people of the consequences of having a king, but still Israel wanted a king and because they wanted to be like all the other nations. And so God gave them a king and it was a disaster. And what happened in that moment should be a great warning to us in two ways. First, let's be sure we understand that if we persist in asking the Lord for things that we should not have, things that the Lord has expressly told us we should not have in his word, if we refuse to listen to his word and pursue what is not right and keep asking him for those things that he says are bad for us, sometimes the Lord will give us what we ask for to show us the foolishness of our ways because it's the only way we'll learn. Whether that be a national church that keeps asking for something that the Lord in his word has clearly said is wrong, or whether it be an individual Christian who does the same, sometimes be sure the Lord will give us what we keep asking for to show us the folly of rejecting him and his word. Because sometimes that is the only way we'll learn. Sometimes we only learn the hard way. And so sometimes the Lord will give us what we keep asking for, even though it's not going to be good for us, in order to show us that we don't know what's best. Because we cannot see the whole picture. And when that happens, we will have to live with the consequences. The second danger that we learn from 1 Samuel 8 and the things that follow uh, is that it is always wrong to want to be like the world. 
Israel wanted a king because they wanted to be like the nations around them. But the nations around them, like the world that surrounds us, had rejected the one true living God. And so to want to be like them, the world, the nations around us, is foolish, for it is to reject our God, always. And so it is devastating to have seen this happening in the Church of England in these last months. In recent national discussions in the Church of England, many of our bishops, including our own Bishop of Sheffield, has called on us to be like the world. Encouraging us to make a decision on the leadership of the church based on what the world expects of us. But we're meant to be a distinct people. We're not meant to be like the world. And this time in Israel's history tells us that when we do want to be like the world, we are rejecting our king. So they asked for a king and the Lord gave them a king and the the king they got was Saul. Again, the reference is on here. You can read all about him in chapter 9 and 10 of 1 Samuel. At first glance, you couldn't have asked for a better king. He came from a great family. family. Saul's father was a man of great standing in the community, we read. And Saul himself is described in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 2 like this. And this is very important, and that's why it's on the handout. He is described as, do you see it there? An impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. I can't imagine what that would have been like. (laughs) Tall, dark, and impressive. Well, we don't know whether Saul was dark or not, but he was certainly tall and impressive. And here's our issue. They could only choose their leader based on what they could see. And from what they could see, this tall and impressive fellow, he looked like the right man to lead them. So Israel, this is important, Israel chose Saul as their king in chapter 9. But then it all went horribly wrong. And so to try and condense the next five chapters into five sentences and I've put them on the handout. Saul was able to rally the nation, chapter 11. Saul provided a focus of political strength and stability, chapter 11. Saul was able to win battles, chapter 14. It all looks quite good. But Saul disobeyed the Lord, as you'll read in chapter 13 and 15. And therefore, Saul was a disaster. See, as he led the nation to reject the Lord as their king they were going even further away from the Lord than when they first chose Saul. The key verse in Saul's sorry leadership comes in chapter 15, verse 26, where we read that Saul rejected the word of the Lord and so he was rejected as king over Israel. And his rejection of the word of the Lord had very serious implications. Turn back with me to chapter 12 and verse 13 and then we're almost at our chapter tonight. Page 282. Chapter 12, verse 13. See, here we read what the Lord said to his people over this whole thing of having a king. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you've asked for. 
See, the Lord has set a king over you. Now if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. You see how important that is when we read that their king didn't obey God. That means the Lord's hand was against them. And so ironically, Israel did become like all the other nations in every way. They became like all the other nations in that the Lord was now against them because they had rebelled against him. And that is the story so far as we come to chapter 16. The Lord rejected Saul as king, the king that the people had asked for in rejecting the Lord. And so as we arrive at the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16, Samuel the prophet is mourning. Of course he is. Look at chapter 15 and verse uh, 13. We're now over the page on the handout, by the way, the story of chapter 16. But look at the last verse, chapter 15, of, verse, cha- of chapter 15, verse 35. See, uh, see how Samuel, the prophet, is mourning. Verse 35, until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. Now, and the Lord grieved that he'd made Saul king over Israel. And then we read the same in chapter 16 and verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Samuel mourned. We don't know from these verses exactly why Samuel mourned, but we do know that often in the Bible we see godly leaders mourning over the state of God's people. You remember Jeremiah the prophet mourned over Israel. Paul wrote of the grief in his heart over Israel. And of course, Jesus himself, in those most touching words, grieved because of the sin of Jerusalem. Do you remember? Mourning over the state of God's people is a good thing, a right thing to do. Indeed, um, in this uh, excellent little commentary on 1 Samuel, uh, the writer Dale Ralph Davis uh, asks if we ever do the same. Do we ever mourn? over the sin of God's people. He says there was something proper in Samuel's grief. He was not upset over a lousy bowling score or because someone sideswiped his Chevy Beretta, whatever one of those is, it's an American commentary, or because he'd only had a three-bedroom house. Rather, he was distressed over the spiritual disaster as a promising instrument of God, over the welfare of God's people, over their condition and security. Do we ever mourn over such matters? Do we mourn or gossip over the sins of others? Do we ever sorrow over the unbelief in the churches and among the professional ministry? Do we ever grieve over the biblical and ethical ignorance among professing believers? Does anything ever move us aside from our own comfort and security? There is something commendable, instructive in Samuel's distress. Samuel mourned. 
But now on this day, verse 1, Samuel was to stop mourning for God had chosen a new king and the Lord now had a job for Samuel to do. You see that there in verse 1. The Lord wanted him to get up and make his way to Bethlehem to anoint this new king. Now that incidentally is the point of the horn filled with oil. Kings of Israel were anointed with oil. Indeed, the word Messiah simply means the Lord's anointed. So, verse 1, Samuel was to stop his mourning, make his way to Bethlehem, and find this, this fellow Jesse, one of whose sons would become the Messiah, the Lord's anointed, the next king of Israel. So, verse 1 summarises the chapters that have gone before and sets us up for the rest of the chapter, and in, indeed the rest of the chapters that follow. In summary, verse 1, the Lord has rejected Saul as king. And now Samuel is to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king. And most crucially of all, do you see the last line in verse 1? This new king has been chosen by the Lord. Now that is crucial to note. First, because this new king is one chosen by the Lord in contrast to Saul who was chosen by the people. Remember, they chose what they could see. And that leads us to the second most crucial thing in this last phrase. More literally, verse 1, the last phrase in verse 1 could be having the Lord saying, I have seen among Jesse's sons for myself a king. See, you chose the one you could see, but I have seen one that I have chosen. And as we've thought all along, seeing is crucial because we can't see the whole picture. But the Lord can. The Lord can see things that we cannot see, so his choice is always going to be better than ours. So anyway, Samuel was to go to Bethlehem, but verse 2, Samuel said, how can I go? Saul, the current king, will hear about it and kill me. You see, remember, Samuel was the Lord's prophet, and as such, he was famous throughout the whole of Israel. Wherever he went and whatever he did was front-page news. And then if we look at the geography, that even further exacerbates Samuel's problem. If you look back to chapter 15 and verse 34, just a couple of verses back, that tells us that Samuel lived in Ramah and Saul lived in Gibeah. Now that may not mean very much to you, but let me tell you, because somebody else taught me, Bethlehem, where Samuel was to go to find Jesse and his sons, Bethlehem was about 11 miles south of Ramah, uh, Samuel's hometown. And for Samuel to get from his hometown in Ramah to Bethlehem, he'd have to pass through Gibeah, which was Saul's home. So one way or another, Samuel couldn't just slide into Bethlehem unannounced and unnoticed and anoint the next king of Israel without Saul knowing about it. And Samuel was sure that if Saul got wind of the fact that he, Samuel, was about to anoint someone else as king, Saul would have Samuel bumped off in no time. That's his problem in verse 2. So the Lord said, verse 2, I take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. And verse 4, I love this, Samuel did what the Lord said. You see, again, Samuel is a great example to us here. He did what the Lord said. Sometimes we don't know exactly how things will work out uh, as we follow the Lord. Often we 
don't have all the information that we might like because as this chapter continues to remind us, we can't see everything. But we can trust the Lord because he can see how things will work out. He does have all the information. And so Samuel trusted the Lord, verse four. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Now, here's where the fun really starts. Verse six. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. This is Jesse's eldest son. But notice, when verse six, Samuel saw Eliab, He thought, surely the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And why was Samuel so sure that in Eliab he had seen the Lord's anointed? That's the big question. Well, look at verse 7. Samuel had considered Eliab's appearance and his height. Eliab was tall, dark and impressive. Well, we don't know whether he was dark, but he was tall and impressive to look at. But here's the thing. The last tall, impressive young man to pass before Samuel was Saul. And we know what a disaster he was. And so do you see what the problem is? We can only see what's in front of our eyes. We can only choose leaders based on what we can see of them. And we can't see what makes them tick. We don't know what their motives are, whether they want the best for the nation or whether they want re-election above everything else. We don't know whether they want to serve or to be served. We don't know whether they want to use power for the good of others or whether they'll abuse the power they have. We don't know any of these things because like Samuel, we can't see any more than what's in front of our eyes. But verse seven, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Oh, verse 7 is a brilliant verse. Many of you will know it. Some reckon it's the key verse for understanding the whole of 1 Samuel. It is certainly a brilliant verse for understanding life. Verse 7 underscores the flakiness of our impressions. It points out to us how we can be so taken in by what we see. Samuel saw Eliab tall and impressive and you can see Samuel reaching for his horn of oil. This is the man. Samuel would have anointed Eliab in a flash had the Lord not jumped in with the words in verse 7. Don't consider his appearance or his height. Don't consider his appearance or the tie that he wears or the make of his suit, or his physique. Beware the impressiveness of external appearances. And that is true not just when it comes to the people that we look to to lead us, but is true also of the things we look to to save us. You see, the Lord jumped in. No, don't anoint him. Sometimes the Lord must rescue us from our saviours, our chosen solutions to the needs of the church or our personal dilemmas. We look at things and people and are so impressed by them. But for goodness sake, listen to the Lord as he steps in with the words of verse seven. Don't consider the appearance. Beware following anyone or anything because it looks impressive. 
because you and I can't see the whole picture. We can't see beyond the surface. We need to follow the one who is chosen by the Lord. For the Lord can see everything, verse 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord's chosen one, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah, he is the saviour we need, the leader we need. And we must be sure we know this, for this story tells us that we would never have chosen the Lord's chosen one. See, we've seen it already. Samuel, the prophet, for goodness sake, he he didn't see. He'd 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 have anointed Eliab just like that. And then as we read on, we see exactly the same thing happening. Look at verse eight. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, no, the Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass by Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, all these, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. That's very interesting. You see, we saw that Samuel wouldn't have chosen the right one. We see now that Jesse didn't choose the right one. Jesse had one more son. He hadn't even been bothered to invite the youngest son. Why would I want him? But we know he turns out to be the one that the Lord has chosen. But Jesse hadn't given him a second thought. Look, we're no different from Samuel or Jesse. We don't see the whole picture. We can't see as the Lord sees. And so on our own, left to ourselves, we won't see who we should follow. I love the last part of verse 11 as well. With all Jesse's sons having passed in front of Samuel and none of them being the one, and having heard that there was still a youngest son... Uh, Samuel said, send for him, we'll not sit down until he arrives. And then we discover that he's uh, out um, uh, looking after the sheep, tending the sheep. He was out in a field and so I imagine that it would take ages to go and get him and bring him back. But they didn't sit down until he arrived. I love that. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm saying it really. It's just one of those things I love. I can just picture everyone looking at their watches, wondering how much longer. They'd have just been standing there waiting. Well, he did finally arrive and in verse 12 we're told about him. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. And so, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, rushed upon David in power. Samuel anointed him. Literally, he messiahed him. And here's the thing. The Lord chose the most unlikely one. And so something very important happened that day in the little town of Bethlehem. And what happened that day in Bethlehem would eventually lead to another day for which the little town of Bethlehem gained its lasting fame. Which brings us finally and briefly to our third point, the the, the bigger story. See, as we think of the little town of Bethlehem and not David, but the son of David, well, we're pointed to an an event that was anticipated by the prophet Micah, as I've put here on the handout. When Micah said, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. 
whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And we know that this promised one, this one from Bethlehem, was not just one who was anointed, but the anointed, the Messiah. And again, here's the thing. The Lord's chosen Messiah is not the one that you and I would have chosen. See, on the handout, I've written it. Those from his own town rejected him as just one of us. Others rejected him because he had too much fun. Still others objected. He's not from the right place. Even his closest friends found him hard to accept because messiahs don't suffer. And do you remember John the Baptist's words about Jesus when at his, Jesus' baptism, Jesus was anointed not with oil but with the Spirit. And John the Baptist said these words in John 1. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is very clear. He'd not have known Jesus was the Messiah. So let's not fool ourselves that we would choose Jesus as our leader, as our Messiah. We choose the souls of this world. Left to ourselves, we want to be like the world. Let's be honest, even as Christians, we often don't choose Jesus and his leadership. We don't want to go the way of suffering. We don't like to have to stand up for him. There are so many things about his leadership we don't like. We don't like many of the things he says in his word. We don't like it when his word tells us that we have to go against the culture. We don't like what he says about how we should spend our money. How we should harness our sexuality. How we should lose our lives in his service. Let's not fool ourselves, left to ourselves, we wouldn't choose Jesus. And even as Christians regularly every day, we choose not to follow Jesus. But that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because the prophet Isaiah told us, and again the reference is on the handout. The prophet Isaiah said these words, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. In so many ways, he is not the one we would have chosen. And for the majority, he's not the chosen one today. But listen, he is the leader we need. He is the one the Lord has chosen. And the Lord sees the whole picture. Listen to how Isaiah continues. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, wanting our own kings, doing all our own thing. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. He's the one we need. For he is the one and the only one who can deal with our greatest problem, our rejection of God. The very problem that Israel had in wanting a king so they could be like the nations. We're just the same. That's why we need this saviour. And of course he is the one who as the the creator and ruler of the universe knows the solutions to all the problems we face. He is the problem to the that the solution to the political problems. He is the answer to the global problems that threaten to engulf us. But if we look with our eyes, we'll never turn to him. Not only do we not like the look of him, but he doesn't appear to deal with our problems and we don't like the answers that he gives to our problems. But when we look as the Lord looks, when we see as the Lord sees... When we have his perspective, we know that he is the answer. For he will deal with our deepest needs and he will lead us to the world we all want because he alone has the solution to the problem we all have. Let's pray together. Our Lord and God, we recognise our sinfulness and we recognise our failing and we recognise our problem that we like what we see even though we can't see everything and we fool ourselves that we know best. And so we thank you for this evening reminding us that you see the heart You see the whole picture. And so you can choose the right Messiah, Saviour, leader for us. We pray for those here tonight who've never seen Jesus as the Messiah they need. Help them to see that they can't see and that what you see is what they need to see. And then for those of us here who have seen Jesus as Messiah, but tomorrow and through the week we'll then turn away from him as our leader. Help us to see that we can't see. And help us to see that you can see what we need to see and so see it more clearly. Help us to trust you. The one who loves us enough to send your son to die for us that when you tell us what is best, you do it because you love us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.